also something that's good to have in your back pocket because sometimes you know you need to pray but you don't know how to pray or what to pray and uh, the Lord's Prayer is something you can pray in those times when you find yourself in the foxhole and the, the bombs are coming overhead and you don't know if you've got much time left. And so we've been going through a petition by petition and today we're going to look at, at the third petition where Jesus says pray to God our Father in heaven thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So we're going to talk about what it means for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. And uh, a little picture of that that I want to, want to consider comes from Matthew chapter 4, which is actually, if you're familiar with Lord's Prayer, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. But right before the Sermon on the Mount, this is kind of the intro, what was happening with Jesus. It says, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the good news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. And this is God's word for us this morning. One of the things I've noticed is, is if you actually open your eyes to see, and most of us, most of the time, we, we kind of close our eyes or we, we wall ourselves off from this, but if you open your eyes and look around, one of the things you notice is that there's a lot of suffering and pain and agony in this world around us. Uh, you know, we, we don't think about it too much, but in this world, there's about a billion people living in absolute poverty. What what uh, students of this call the bottom billion. And to be in the bottom billion, I mean, this is a billion people, this is a lot of, a lot of people, to, is, is to, to live a life where you don't have access to clean drinking water, where basic physical problems that, that we just go to a doctor for and get taken care of injuries or illnesses are actually life-threatening or life-shortening or, or disabling for you, where your kids have no opportunity to uh, to get basic nutrition or health care or education, all those things are that we take for granted that are just part of being here are, are you don't have access to. And, and there's a billion people in the world who live like that. There's millions and millions of people who live in war-ravaged countries where it's impossible for life to go on. We think of Syria right now and other places. You know, the refugee crisis is caused by families and people like you and me who had their houses blown up and they had to run away or walk away usually with their with whatever they could carry with their families to a better place even nationally you know we think of hurricane michael hurricane florence and both of these events resulted in uh, dozens of people dying hundreds and hundreds of people homeless and in the case of of hurricane florence that went to the carolinas they estimated 13 billion dollars in damage but that's not just physical property damage, that's people's houses that were blown up, that's people's livelihoods, people's you know, schools that were destroyed, and, and people who are just utterly displaced. So, so we look around the world, and there's so much suffering, but most of us can't even bear to think about that because we look at our own lives, and we look at our families, and the people who we love, just people with one degree of separation, maybe our brothers and sisters, our, our children, our parents, and 
and our closest friends or neighbors and you see people struggling with chronic health problems or family problems or financial problems being displaced from their homes, not being able to make ends meet, you know, the list never ends. And so life is hard. Life is hard all around us. Uh, and one perspective on this, though, is, it, you know, and then a lot of times for people of faith, we wonder why life is so hard. But one of the reasons the Bible tells us life is so hard is, is it's a fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And, you know, we talk about sometimes claiming the promises of Jesus, but we're selective about the ones that we claim. Jesus promised that our world and our life is going to be full of trouble, and that's, that's the way that it's inevitably going to be. This is earth. It's not heaven, and so trouble is a part of it for all of it. And so this petition that we have today, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, talks about the mission of the church, the call of every Christian, which is simply this, to bring heaven to earth. Heaven, as the New Testament describes it, is not a place that we're going to fly off to one day. Heaven is a dynamic and a reality that's coming down to earth. And it's the job of the church, it's the job of the followers of Christ, it's the job of believers in Christ to be agents of heaven, citizens of heaven, ambassadors of heaven who are bringing heaven to earth. And so the question is, what does that look like? And I think if you want to get a picture of what it means to bring heaven to earth, the best place to look is at the life and ministry of Jesus. What did Jesus do when he came? It says here in, in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus went around Galilee, he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He was healing diseases and sickness among the people. As the news about him spread, people brought their, their, those afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. All the hard cases were brought to Jesus. All the people were desperately and, and, uh, and diff, uh, struggling and suffering in, in, in difficult ways. They came to Jesus and he healed them. And so Jesus is the king of heaven. Jesus is, is it's Jesus' presence, it's Jesus' work that makes, that, that brings the kingdom to bear. And wherever he goes, he gives us a picture of what it looks like for heaven to intrude into earth. And you think about the the life of Jesus, and, and you're all familiar with the miracles of Jesus. Jesus did, did miracles. Some of you have heard about that, but think about the miracles he did. He didn't do magic tricks, you know. He didn't pull rabbits out of hats. He didn't, he didn't do card tricks and, and things like that. And he wasn't like the sorcerers in, in uh, the fantasy novels who could, who could throw balls of fire around or who could make boulders levitate and, and things like that or give themselves invisibility. That wasn't what Jesus did. Think about if you're familiar with the, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, what kinds of miracles did he do? Someone name one of the miracles Jesus did. What did he do? Water to wine. He turned water to wine. Okay, so he kept a party going, so that was important. <laughs> and, uh, and what else? What else? He, he, he fed people who were hungry. What else did he do? 
He raised the dead. He healed, he healed the lepers. He healed the paralytic. He made the blind man see. And he, every time Jesus did that, you know what he was doing? He was showing us what the leading edge of the kingdom of heaven looks like. He was bringing heaven to earth in that instance. He was reversing the curse. He was restoring something that was broken. And he was, he was repairing this world in the image of the eternal kingdom. So Jesus' miracles, you know, it's... They weren't just man, random displays of power. They were, they were opportunities where he showed what the intrusion of heaven on earth is going to look like. Uh, you know, he was, he was giving us a preview of that place in that time where there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has finally passed away. And that's the picture of of the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping for when we pray, thy kingdom come. And it happens, the picture of the kingdom of heaven happens through the person of the king, King Jesus. You know, in the history of humanity, uh, you know, when, when people were under various monarchies, the monarchies rose and fell on the quality of the kings, right? Because it's the nature of, of uh of kingdoms ruled by kings that the kings don't aren't subject to checks and balances so if you have a good king things can get very good because he's powerful and he can fix things and he can make things better if you have a bad king things go downhill really quickly because there's no checks and balances no one to, who, who's going to stop stop him from doing things that are are destructive and and the history of humanity is is generally one bad king after another you know the, the old saying that power corrupts and absolute power just corrupts absolutely um, and so so as soon as a king rises to power usually he does some stupid things he does some destructive things he does some evil things and and things go downhill but Jesus was a different kind of king and he's the model of or he's not the model he is the actual king of heaven and but but his reign the way he ruled was a little bit different what's the symbol of the church the symbol of jesus reign the symbol of the kingdom the cross and think about that. What was the cross a symbol of in the first century? It was a symbol of Roman oppression. It was a symbol of defeat. It was a torture device that the Roman Empire designed to absolutely humiliate and crush against the Roman Empire. And so Jesus comes. He says he's the king. He tells people he's the Messiah. He says he's come to bring the kingdom. But then, to everybody's surprise, to just absolutely confuse and flummox everybody, what does he do? He dies on the cross. And everybody said, well, he must not be the king anymore. He must not be the Messiah, because there was no place in first century Jewish expectation for a crucified Messiah. That was a uh, contradiction in terms, because a Messiah, by definition, would be victorious, would be triumphant, and would, would conquer all of the enemies of the king. But... Jesus comes, and the Bible says that his greatest victory wasn't when he calmed the storm or, or turned water into wine or healed the sick. His greatest victory was when he defeated Satan himself through the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 2. It's going to pop up there. It says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
So see, Jesus was a different kind of king, and he won a different kind of victory, and his victory was won through the cross where he broke the power of sin and death. And what se when it seemed like death won, Jesus came through. When it seemed like Jesus had been utterly defeated by his adversaries, he actually won his greatest victory because, as, as it says in the Chronicles of Narnia, there was a deeper magic, there was a deeper truth than just the raw exercise of power, and it was through his humbling of himself, through his giving of himself, through his willingness to suffer and to serve that he won his victory. And, and, uh, and, and three days later, that victory was sealed, and that victory was established when he rose from the from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The, when Jesus rose from the dead on the very first Easter, he reversed the curse. He, he, he actually brought the power of the kingdom of heaven to bear in his own life as the first fruit or as the first victory of the coming of the kingdom for the rest of the world. And the Bible says that one day, Jesus, God is going to bring the resurrection and give new lives and new bodies to all of the followers of Jesus. And one day, God is going to bring resurrection and renewal to all of creation and all things are going to be renewed. So the picture of the kingdom, we see a picture of the kingdom when Jesus touches the leper and he's healed or touches the blind man and the blind man can see. But we also see a picture of, of the restoration of the kingdom when Jesus, who was dead, who was buried, who was in the grave three days later, rises again from the dead. So, so the question for us is how to respond. I think there's two things that this calls all of us to respond to in terms of the work of Jesus. And first is that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're affirming the power of surrender. It's a prayer, when we pray, thy kingdom come to God, our Father in heaven, it's a prayer of surrender to the king, asking the king to come into our hearts and into our lives. It's an invitation from us for the king to come and reign in us and to restore us. And, you know, essential way to look at, you know, we talk about what Christian conversion is. What does it mean to be converted, to become a Christian, to, uh, to put your faith in Christ? One, one summary of that is, is simply this, to pray to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, in my life. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that's a contradiction, I think, of the American ideal. Most of us, in our natural selves, when we tend to pray, we, we pray, God, would you help my kingdom to come and my will to be done? You know, that, 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 that kind of resonates a little bit more because we want what we want the way we want it. But, but the call to be a follower of Christ, the call to be a citizen of God's kingdom and to surrender to God's kingdom is to look to God and to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That, that's an invitation, but it's, it's more than just a personal conversion. It's also an invitation to all of us to bring our brokenness to him and ask him to restore those things, to bring our intense pains to him and ask him to relieve those things, to bring our heartbreak to him and ask him to make us whole. And, uh, you know, that's why 
for those of you who, who, who are familiar with it, those of you who've been, been through um, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or uh, Al-Anon or something like that, one of the features of those meetings often is reciting and reviewing the Lord's Prayer. And that's because because the, the feature of every addiction ultimately is selfishness, this desire to put myself in the center of all things and get what I want when I want it on my own terms. And recovery for all of us begins when we can say to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so see, the Lord's Prayer is is theological and it's spiritual and all those things, but it's also a key to, to real mental health, a key to recovery, because as long as we're living to establish our own kingdom and to assert our own will, we're going to be sick, we're going to be disoriented, we're going to be destructive, and, and we're going to keep hurting ourselves and others. But restoration begins when we surrender our lives and surrender our hearts to God's kingdom and to his will and let him begin to work on us. And, and so it's actually in, in the midst of, you know, whatever dissonance you're experiencing, whatever difficulty, whatever, whatever un, unresolvable problem you're facing in your life right now, one of the things we can do that begins the resolution is when you pray this prayer, when you come before God and say, God, I don't know what to do here, but all I can say is, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm surrendering this to you. So it's when we pray this prayer, it shows us you will experience in your life the power of surrender. C.S. Lewis summed up eternity this way. He said, at the end of time, there's only two places, two types of people. People who say to God, thy will be done, and people ultimately to whom God says, thy will be done. And he gives them what, what, they're, what they're asking for, but what they don't actually need. So, so there's power of surrender, the power of restoration in your life when you can bring yourself in the midst of whatever you're facing, whatever decisions you're facing, whatever problems you're facing, and pray that God's kingdom will be brought to to bear, that God's kingdom would come, and that God's will would be done. So we see the picture of the kingdom of heaven is the, the, the work of Jesus, the, the ministry of Jesus, the person of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus. The power of surrender is the personal side of it, but also this talks about the potential for impact. Each of us are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In Philippians it says we're, we are citizens of heaven and we're waiting our Savior from there. And as citizens of heaven, as ambassadors of heaven, there's an opportunity for all of us. All of us have the potential to use our gifts, to use our talents, to use our abilities to represent and to share the power of the kingdom of heaven in this world. The job of the Christian, the job of the church, in short, is to bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we give, every time we serve, every time we help someone, every time we pray, that's what we're trying to do, is to bring the power of heaven and the grace of heaven and the glory of heaven to earth. When we do things in his name, when we try to love someone who's difficult to love, when we try to comfort someone who's facing real distress, when we try to 
try to provide for someone who needs some provision, when we try to help someone who's helpless, in his name, we're doing the work of bringing the grace of heaven, the glory of heaven to earth. And, uh, you know, when we, when we sacrifice, when we serve for others, it's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven coming down. When we, when we take an interest in someone who's on the margins and someone who's hurting, it's showing the presence of Christ and the grace of Christ in that circumstance. Because when we do this in his name, we're pointing to the risen king and to his promise that he's going to restore all things. And so the question is, what does that look like? And, and the answer is, I don't know. You think about Jesus as he walked through life, as he walked through neighborhoods, as he walked through different cities, as he met different people. He always responded to people and was always aware of their need, their place of brokenness. And he reached out and touched that place of brokenness and restored them and made them whole. You know, wherever he went, he seemed to have a sense of what people needed and he had the ability to, to reach that. So what if Jesus came through your dormitory or through your apartment building? What if Jesus walked down your block? What if Jesus walked with you to work one day? What would, what would he see? Who would he reach out to? What if Jesus showed up at one of your family gatherings? Who would he have to help? Who would he take an interest in? You know, the... The challenge for all of us is to, to, as we grow, to see the world as Jesus sees it, to see the brokenness, to see the things sometimes that we'd prefer to avert our eyes from, to, to actually know what we'd rather not know, and then, and then ask, how can I get involved there? How can I get involved in that difficult situation? How can I get involved in that troubled situation? How can I get involved in that hard situation? And, you know, Jesus was pretty spectacular because he could just say to someone, get up, take your mat and walk. And the guy would walk out and everyone would be like, wow, that was that was impressive. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I'd like to to see that happen again. But but that's not usually the way it works for most of us. Our actions are more more hidden, a little more obscure sometimes and don't draw attention to themselves the way Jesus miracles tended to as as he walked through and, and ministered to those who were hurting and sometimes I think all of us have to wonder if, as you lay yourself out and you reach out to someone you wonder does this really matter is this really making a difference does anybody really appreciate this and and you know it's it's a, it's it's something I, I think anybody who tries to help and tries to reach out wonders from time to time that it is my little effort really making an impact in, in any real way in these people who I'm trying, who I'm trying to help? The little, it, is the little bit I can do really worth the trouble, given the, the, the extent of problems? Or it, you know, is the little bit I can do for one particular person worth the trouble, given the extent of all of the problems that that particular person might have? But you know what the Bible teaches us is that ultimately everything we do in his name, everything we do for the kingdom, ultimately is going to last forever, is not in vain, and is going to become a part of the restoration of all things. And that's the assurance that God gives those who are followers of the risen Christ and those who are agents of the kingdom of heaven, that all the good deeds we do, all the efforts we make to help and to restore and to heal and to encourage are going to become a part of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming down. And that's the assurance 
that we have because Jesus rose from the dead and because he's enlisted us in his work. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is an extended exposition by Paul the Apostle on the resurrection of Jesus and why the resurrection means everything. And for 57 verses, Paul gives a very detailed, complicated argument on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. But then he sums it up with one verse of application. He says, in light of the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, in light of the fact that Jesus has, has gone from the grave to heaven, in light of the fact that, that one day we're looking forward to the restoration of all things, what do we do right here and right now? And Paul sums it up this way. In light of all this, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why are your efforts in his name going to last forever? Because ultimately you're not building your kingdom, you're building his. Let's pray.